0: Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather together around your word. We thank you for, uh, I thank you for this church and the people here. I just uh, thank you for the encouragement of the fellowship that we have here, the love that we have for one another. And I just pray that you would uh, continue that amazing work in our lives. Thank you for your word, That you have revealed to us, uh, revealed yourself to us in, and I just uh, pray that we would be good students of it and good stewards of the things that we find there, that we wouldn't uh, take them for granted, but we would live them out in our lives each moment of the day. I pray that you would be with our nation as we uh, appear to be just turning further and further away from you. I pray that your people believers would be strong, strongly committed to you, and that you would help us to walk by faith in the, the darkness in which we find ourselves, and just pray that we would be a light for you to those around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this morning, we will uh, look at a few things here today, and wow, look at that, worked like a charm. Uh, If you're, I I think, uh, oh, except it's the different article than what I'm ready for. (laughs) It's always something. Um, There we go. I got it. Uh, I think most people here are familiar with the passage of Scripture, Ezekiel 38 and 39, that describes a major battle that even the text says will take place in the end times, uh, where the nation of Israel will be invaded by a conglomeration of nations pretty much that is led by uh, what most scholars will say are Russia, Turkey, and Iran and when that battle takes place the nation of Israel uh will be at peace the text says in ezekiel 38 that they were that they are in fact living in unwalled villages so a lot of the the articles and current events that get our attention have to do with uh warfare that we see in the middle east and that yeah, that makes sense because the, the warfare is what gets our attention. But before there's going to be a war, there's going to be a peace in which the nation of Israel is living in unwalled villages. Like they are thinking peace and safety, which is exactly the opposite of what we see in the nation of Israel today. So here are, will be a couple of articles that are kind of point towards the peace. Which, in my mind, kind of get my attention more than uh, Russia having troops in Syria. Well, uh, there's got to be peace before they actually invade. Uh, this article from the Jerusalem Post. Oh, what was I don't see the date on this, but it, I just saw it this week, so it's uh, there's September 20th. Uh, Turkey's Erdogan tells Jewish leaders he plans to visit Israel. Turkish President Recep Erdogan told a group of Jewish leaders that he planned to visit Israel, the clearest sign so far, that he is intent on resetting a long-troubled relationship. Erdogan told a room full of leaders of American Jewish organizations that anti-Semitism is a crime against humanity, a meeting participant told Jewish Telegraphic Agency. Uh, it goes on to say, Turkey said, Turkey and Israel last month announced that they planned to restore full diplomatic ties. Uh, if you'll remember back in 2010, the Turks were essentially arming the Palestinians and they had a cargo ship that was on its way from Turkey to the Gaza Strip and Israeli special forces uh, stopped that ship. Uh, Troops or, uh, I don't know, Israeli seals, whatever they would be, fast roped down onto the ship. They killed 10 people and stopped the arms from getting to uh, the Gaza Strip. And ever since then, Turkey's kind of been a little bit upset at <laughs> at Israel. Uh, at any rate, things seem to be kind of uh, turning a little bit. They're trying to, to normalize their... Relations. It's uh, the article says Erdogan is seeking to tighten ties with the West as Russia drags on its war against Ukraine, which I'm sure you saw. They're mobilizing even more now, and Israel is seeking to build on the 2020 Abraham Accords, which is a massive peace initiative that uh, was instituted by the last administration here in America. That is. Uh, another sign of peace and not and not war. So here is another one, perhaps. Come on. You can do it. Turkish warships. Warship docks in Israel as bilateral ties warm. This is from September 4th, uh, so a few weeks ago. A Turkish warship has docked in Israel for the first such visit in more than a decade as relations between the U.S. allies improved following fierce feuding over the Palestinian cause. The frigate uh, Kemal, Kemal Reis docked in Haifa on Saturday as part of NATO maneuvers in the Mediterranean Sea. A Turkish official said an Israeli official said Ankara had submitted a preliminary request for the crew to disembark on shore leave even. Uh, The countries, then it talks about the incident between the two back in 2010. The countries have moved to mend their relationship in recent months with energy emerging as a key area for potential cooperation. They are expected to appoint new ambassadors soon. So if you'll remember from Ezekiel 38, uh, also the reason why. Russia, Turkey, and Iran, at least the reason why they say that they're going to invade is for spoil, to take plunder in these kinds of things. And here we see uh, Turkey and Israel want to make peace and share their energy resources. Isn't that nice? Uh, Next, we have, uh, that's a different one. They're coming up in a different order for some reason. Israel's population climbs towards the 10 million mark. Statistics uh, Bureau says. 20th of September, Times of Israel. This is. Uh, ahead of the Jewish New Year which is, I think, actually this is the eve, Rosh Hashanah the, eve, the day before Rosh Hashanah uh, for the Jewish calendar. Ahead of the Jewish New Year, Israel's population stands at just over 9.5 million residents, the Central Bureau of Statistics said in a data released on Tuesday. Uh, According to the statistics, 9.5 million people live in the country of Israel. Of those, 7 million, or 74% are Jewish, 2 million, 21% are Arab, and 498,000 are neither, they say. Notice the the language there, I'll give you that they're probably Christians or that neither uh, category. Unfortunately, Christians don't get a great uh, deal in Israel, if you weren't familiar with that idea. Uh, at any rate, they estimate the population is to boom, be up to 20 million by 2065. Here's a, a key Sentence in this entire article is the next one. How in the world could the nation of Israel ever believe in a, in a person to be their Messiah who may not even be Jewish, possibly? Uh, and they're going to trust in this guy instead of Jesus? Among Jews aged 20 and over in Israel, 45% define themselves as secular. traditional, but not very observant. Uh, 14% are traditional religious, and 10.7% are religious. 10.5% are uh, Haredi, so like the ultra-Orthodox. So when you add 45 and essentially 20, you come up with 65% of the country is Either define themselves as secular or uh, what I non-practicing <laughs> uh, uh, Jewish people. So yeah, they're not really all that interested in uh, the Bible or God or anything else. That kind of sixty-five percent. So that there's a good indication as to why how that's going to how that's going to take place. In the future, and then finally, we have uh, this one: Jordan's King Abdullah. uh, The United Nations is meeting. You probably have seen that in the news. United Nations is having their General Assembly uh, this past week. Uh, So here is uh, Times of Israel again before meeting Lapid, who is the Prime Minister of Israel now. Jordan's king warns of undermining Jerusalem's status quo at the U.N. Uh, Jordan's king, Abdullah II, warns against undermining the status quo in Jerusalem in his opening address to the U.N. General Assembly ahead of his meeting today with Prime Minister Lapid. This was uh article from this past week also. Jordan is the custodian of the Temple Mount complex in Jerusalem, a focal point of tensions in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. An activist group said yesterday that Jewish visitors are going to the site in record numbers. King Abdullah said the future of Jerusalem is an urgent concern. The city is holy to billions of Muslims, Christians, and Jews around the world. Kind of interesting that he left the Jews to the end there. <laughs> interesting take on the Temple Mount. Uh, undermining Jerusalem's legal and historical status quo triggers global tensions and deepens religious divides, Abdullah says. Uh, the holy city ought to be a place that uh, must not be a place for hatred and division. And as custodians of Jerusalem's Muslim and holy sites We are committed to protecting the historical and legal status quo and to their safety and future. He also claims Christians are under fire in Jerusalem. Israel has had some recent uh, disputes with Christian leaders in the capital with courts handing settler groups uh, controls of former church property uh, and make no mistake, the Christians in Jerusalem, uh, they're essentially Catholics, uh, uh, Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, these kinds of things. So uh, at any rate, King Abdullah went on to say, peace continues to be elusive. Neither war nor diplomacy has held the answer to this historic tragedy. It is the people themselves and politics. and uh, It is the People themselves, not politics and politicians who will have to come together and push their leaders to resolve this. What would our world look like now if the conflict had been settled long ago? Here it comes. If walls had never gone up and people had been allowed to build bridges of cooperation instead. Kind of makes your skin crawl a little bit. Without the injustices of occupation, how many generations of youth could have grown up in the optimism of peace and progress, King Abdullah said. So, there we go. We are headed headlong into uh, peace, if you'll remember. A, uh, the first seal in Revelation 6 was... A pseudo-is, a pseudo piece, some sort of piece that is going to break out in the world and then, of course, will quickly come to an end. So, like I mentioned last week, I, I can't think of a current event that isn't, isn't pointing towards us being closer day by day to the end. So let's take our Bibles with that and turn to the book of Proverbs and see how we ought to act in these uh, times in which we are living. That's what the book of Proverbs is all about. It is a book that is dedicated to that middle tense of our uh, sanctification, even though it's written to Israel, of course, uh, written by King Solomon primarily, Written to the nation so that they can know how to essentially live a life that glorifies God in in all these various areas of life that are touched upon. So, uh, in today's lesson, we didn't quite get through everything, and I'm going to do my best to to make it through the rest of this section today. Uh, Proverbs one eight through nineteen. Just say no, how to avoid sin. And so, of course, with that uh, goal of getting through this quickly this morning, we know the title of the book is Proverbs. It's written by Solomon, written about 940 years or so before Christ. And it's a book of poetry. That's the probably one of the another of the main things to take away, that this is a book of poetry. So Solomon and the other two authors are using the method of poetry to get across these points the same way that movies uh, try to, they use the, the method of film to, Get across their worldview. Well, here Solomon is, even though he's direct. This is directed towards his son or his children. That's just the method that he's using to put forward his line of thinking. And so, basically, as in studying the book of Proverbs and this passage in particular, eight through nineteen of chapter one, you come away with the idea that well, we have a choice. In this matter of how we 're going to think and how we 're going to act, and essentially it boils down to the fact that there are two ways to think in this world the world's way or god 's way so and the world's way can essentially be broken down into four four types of thinking that are anti God and I, I Probably I'm going to go over this in more detail next week, uh, so we won't spend a lot of time on it. But essentially, rationalism is thinking that you, as a as a human, you ha- you can come up with the answers to life's problem. They all the every kind of problem that is in this world, you can figure it out in your intellect, or you can read some other guy who's smarter than you who has the answers, and he came up with the answers and his. Intellect. Empiricism, essentially, that's rationalism. Empiricism is the idea that, well, I can come up with the answer to life's problems through my experiences. I can touch it, taste it, see it with my own eyes, these kinds of things. And the, all of the answers to life's problems are essentially you can. Figure it out by your life experience and these kinds of things. Skepticism is the, out, the, the attitude of doubting whether one can know anything at all for, for certain. And that's where kind of the foundational idea for your truth, my truth, there is no solid truth. We can't, how can we possibly know? That's skepticism taken to a whole nother level. And then there's mysticism. Mysticism. Uh, The belief that apprehension of knowledge is uh, inaccessible to the intellect. So things that you can't figure out in your own brain or by your experiences, you can obtain through contemplation, self-surrender, meditation, and even, uh, well, if you listen to Joe Rogan uh, podcast and a lot of other people, well, you just take drugs. And uh mushrooms and these kinds of hallucinogenic drugs, and then you can find out the issues of life. You can come to these conclusions. And that's what a lot of uh Native American medicine men and really kind of uh pagan paganism in general, that their medicine men, their spiritual leaders, that's exactly what they what they did. They would take some sort of hallucinogen drug and have this deeper experience to find out all the issues of life. So basically, leave your own mind, and then you can find out the answer to these questions. And the tricky thing is, is that there is some, there's a little bit of truth in every one of these kinds of ideas, not taking drugs. There's no truth in that. (laughs) To, uh, uh, but rationalism, yeah, God wants us to use our brains to understand the world around us. Empiricism that 's kind of the, the the foundation of science, the scientific method, doing experiments, seeing what is actually happening in the world with, oh, say, viruses and these kinds of things. What is effective? Well, do some experiments and find out what 's effective in treating viruses, stopping their spread, and then, act, like, implement what we find out. That would be a good idea. Uh, skepticism. Yeah, we ought to be a little skeptic. Uh, there ought to be a little bit of skeptic in every one of us to not just buy hook, line, and sinker what the world is saying, oh, like, about viruses <laughs> and those sorts of issues. Uh, and mysticism. Yes, of course, there is there is value in praying, uh, reading the scripture, thinking about meditating, quote unquote, meditating on the scripture, rolling it over in your mind and these kinds of things, because yeah, guess what? Our intellects don't have all the answers. And there are things that we can't uh, understand in this world. And what it comes down to is, again, uh, we'll spend more time on this next week. Humans need special revelation. We need God to reveal the truth to us because we can't possibly know everything that there is to know about this world that God has created, the physical world and the spiritual world. He created both of them. He is sovereign over both of them. Uh, There are rules and regulations and laws that govern both parts of God's creation, the physical world, uh, like gravity, for example. If I go to the top of the Empire State Building and throw myself off, there's a physical law that says I'm going to get hurt really bad when when I stop at, uh, at the pavement. Uh, there are spiritual laws that are exactly the same, that have consequences that are even worse than the physical Laws of creation. Uh, Like dying without having uh, a correct relationship with the God of the universe. That is an eternal consequence if we don't uh, align ourselves with what the scriptures say, how we can have our sins forgiven by trusting in Christ and what he did for us on the cross. And so the world's way of thinking versus biblical thinking and we'll uh, we'll get more into that next time. So last last time in Proverbs chapter 1 we got through verse 8, the role of the parents. Hear my son your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. So as we made our way through this, we saw that children need both a father and a mother uh, and that they have different roles, as even indicated by the the text, by the language in there, speaking of the father's instruction and the mother 's teaching, two different words, two different roles that they are fulfilling, both are very uh important for children and a takeaway is that parents are responsible for their children, not the state, not the church, not uh their neighbor, not it uh, it doesn't take a village to raise the children. Children, It takes a mother and a father who are committed to doing that. And uh, doing this brings honor to your children. Uh, they're, they are raised in a way that they're going to be different from the kids that are around them, and it brings them honor. We saw all of that uh, last week. And so the, this uh, idea of just saying no to sin, avoiding sin, is to make a decision ahead of time. Kind of the, the, the takeaway from verses 9 through 16 is that this has to be something that you are prepared for going into it. Uh, similar to a test. Similar to uh, a lot of instances in life you can't, uh, as far as a bike race goes, for me personally, you can't show up on the day of the race not having prepared ahead of time if you expect to be successful. Same thing in in any kind of uh, uh, academic test and these kinds of things. You can't uh, pray for knowledge uh, the night before the test and expect to pass. That's not how it works. Uh, Proverbs one nine says, indeed, these uh, the instruction and the from the father, the teaching from the mother, indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head, ornaments to your neck. We saw that last time. Uh, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit we will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. So it says there in verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. I kind of uh, wish that it said when sinners entice you. Uh, Not that I want to change the Bible, but it certainly could say that because that is, uh, this is just a fact of life. You are going to be faced with uh, the temptation to sin or be enticed to sin by other people, particularly the young people, of course. Uh, It's just a guarantee. It's just the way the way the world is, and that word for entice is a Hebrew word that that means open-minded. Uh, coincidentally enough, open your mind. Come on, come with us. I mean, this that is portrayed as a good thing in the world today, in the society in which we are living. This idea of being open-minded and and uh, these kinds of ideas and. That's sort of exactly the opposite of of what the Bible teaches, how our, how our minds ought to be. The, being uh, the opposite of open-minded isn't necessarily closed-minded, in my uh, estimation. It's the idea of being committed to the truth of what the Bible has to say in various areas of life. And it doesn't mean that you that you have to hate people and be mean to people and just go around with a scowl and be angry all the time. Uh, that's the way that that people who are biblical thinkers are portrayed in society, but that isn't all uh, at all the truth. It j- it's just a matter of not being open-minded, just sinning against God. That's the the intention. And that's exactly what Satan did in the garden. He had this exact same... Kind of a plea or a trick, if you will, to Adam and Eve in the garden uh, it, when he is tempting them to sin, he is essentially giving them the, the, opening up their eyes to disobeying what God has to say, and what he is the world that god has provided the reality that god has provided god is the ultimate arbiter of uh the reality of this world i mean he created it he created the physical laws he created the spiritual realm the spiritual laws the relationship between god and man is created by god so of course he makes all the rules, Satan comes along and says "Oh no you don 't have to do that you can You can come over here and do this instead, even though God has given you this entire garden and he's the entire world, the entire creation, you can do whatever you want just don 't eat from this tree, and uh, you know the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." Uh, <sighs> I don't really know <laughs> exactly what it is. There's some For some reason, God didn't want them to eat from that tree and because it was going to do something to them. And so Satan, that's the one thing that he's going to try to entice them or open their mind to is to eat from that tree. And it gave them the ability or... I don't even know that it gave them ability. it opened them up to disobeying the realm that God had created and these uh the the uh people who are portrayed in verses ten through sixteen and this whole passage are kind of doing exactly the same thing that Satan did. They're trying to take this person away from God's way of thinking and get them to go in Satan's way of thinking, the world's way of thinking. And notice there in the second phrase in verse 10, do not consent, do, don't do it, just say no, uh, is, is essentially the phrase there in English uh, parlance, if you will, American uh, kind of way of talking, just don't do it. Do not consent. You have a choice to make. Uh, the idea that God ha- is just dictating every action to every person, and and it, when we take that to its logical end, it means that God is responsible for sin, and that is an outrageous assertion that God is responsible for sin. We are responsible for sin, and we have a choice to consent or not consent. And there is always, 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 according to the Scripture, a way out from the temptation. We do not have to consent. 1 Corinthians 10 Thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. You are not facing some temptation in your life that is unprecedented. That There's just no way. I, I am so addicted to this thing or the other thing. I don't have a choice. There's no way. I just can't do it. Well, according to the scriptures, yes, you can. And this thing that you are facing, whatever it is, has been faced before, by people, and has been overcome. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you may, we, you will be able to endure it. So notice that there's that phrase there at the end, you will be able to endure it. It doesn't mean that God is going to and every instance of temptation from your friends, the TV, the computer, whatever it is, uh, take you and physically remove you from that situation. You may be, you will be able to endure it. It could still be there, but you're enduring it. You're not uh, falling to the temptation. You do have a way of escape, and that's, the, that's just the truth Uh, in every instance, as it is stated there. That there is a way to escape from it, and primarily it's turning your mind and your way of thinking back to the Scriptures, not contemplating whatever it is that's the sin, but instead contemplating, thinking about the Scriptures, Christ, and what He's done for you. The fact that you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, Paul points to in other places in uh, 1 Corinthians. But we have to make this decision, and we have to make this decision ahead of time. We have to understand the temptations that we face, and the tactics that we are being inundated with is a good way. Understanding the tactics is a good way to... Avoid them to avoid the trap that is being set for you in sin uh, that's uh how when I was going to college in r o t c the Soviet Union was our big uh enemy, and uh, we spent time in college in r o t c learning about the Soviet ships and their kind of their tactics and the things that they do. Uh, oh, how times have not changed all that much uh, because uh, they're just called Russia now instead of the Soviet Union but, and they're doing a lot of the same things that they did back then. And it's a good idea to understand what your enemy is going to try to do against you. Well, here Solomon is laying it out. How people are going to lead his son, all of us, essentially, into sin. Verse 11, if they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. They're saying, man, we are, we are going to be powerful. We're going to have the power over these people and we're going to take their stuff. One of the, one of the temptations that is uh, prominent for young, uh, young boys, young men in particular, is this idea of easy money. And you've got a lot of testosterone raging through you. And you think, I'm just going to beat you up and take your stuff. Uh, perhaps that could be something that you could fall into. And that's what these people are, are playing to. Uh, this idea, let us ambush the innocent without cause. Uh, and so he's using kind of... Uh, uh, irony, if you will, a little bit, to try to get the attention of his son. Now, you can't really, you shouldn't be doing this. You're going to ambush the innocent without cause as you're doing this. That's, that's crazy. That's against every principle that we know from the scriptures. We can't be acting like that. So he throws in kind of this sarcastic remarks, if you will, uh, that you're, you'll just be ambushing the innocent without cause. Uh, verse 12, let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as they go down to the pit. We're going to be like God. We're, we're just going to eliminate these people. They're, they are uh, they're of no use to us. And we're just going to discard them and take their, their wealth for ourselves. Verse 13, we will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fi- fill our houses with spoil. We're going to get rich. From this, uh, all our cares are going to be taken care of. In if we do this, in verse fourteen, this is this is a key one. Throw in your lot with us. We shall have one purse. We're going to be like family. We're all in this together. Uh, it kind of sounds a lot like communism, a little bit. In this uh, this whole description, if we just apply this to politics. Oh, we don't have to. We don't have to go out and earn a living. We can just take it from somebody else, and we'll just spread it around. It'll be. It'll be great. We'll all just be one big happy family. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, but remember, verse eight. We think back to. Wait a second. I already have a family. I don't. I don't need to share. I don't need to share one purse with you with this gang of hooligans. I. I have a mother and a father, who are providing for me. And that's just a very key thing. You can see that in cultures where, where the family breaks down. Well, the natural thing that happens is a bunch of gangs get together. And you'd see that in our own country. You've seen that in history. When there is no family, uh, the young men get together in a gang. And they become like family. Uh, and you, just, you see this across all cultures. Uh, that 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 actually takes place. Again, showing the importance of the family as being a building block to the society. So when sinners entice you, you have to have a plan ahead of time, and they're going to try to entice you through uh, appealing to your ability to control other people, uh, lifting you up to a station higher than what you actually are. You're going to get some kind of uh, wealth out of this. And you know, we're going to have this family bond that is that is just great. When in fact, the scriptures tell us uh, God is all powerful. He is God. I am not. Foundation of fear of the Lord. Uh, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ, not through taking stuff from other people, and we already ought to have a family. And then he goes on to talk about the folly of this ill-gotten gain there in verses 17 through 19. He says, indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessor. So, just real quickly, they, this idea of spreading, uh, it's useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird, uh, essentially saying, you're going to be caught. Just the same way as it's kind of the opposite is true. If you spread out the net to try to catch the, uh, the bird and the bird is watching you, it's going to get away. Uh, kind of like duck hunting. If you're trying to throw out all your decoys and get in and everything and the ducks are flying over your head, you're not going to get them. They're going to fly away. Just as sure as that is, if you go down this path, you're going to be caught just the same way as the bird is going to actually get away. They lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. Uh, if you go down this path of violence, you don't have to look very hard to see that uh, you're going to end up uh, dying in exactly the same way or coming to grief the exactly the same way that you're doing to other people. And in fact, you are ruining your own life. And this is, uh, you know, you can just insert any sin into this sin of any kind taken to its logical end is going to ruin your life, can ruin your life. And this is why we need to keep such short accounts with the Lord and deal with sin before it takes root in your life. Uh, Otherwise, it's going to grow in a way that is going to control you and eventually end up ruining the life that you have, just as it is stated there in verse 19. So just say no to sin. How can we avoid sin? Well, as parents, we can fulfill the roles that that God has ordained for us as children. We can pay attention to the instruction of our parents, of course. We can pay attention to the various, to the things that they are telling us, to the correction of our fathers, to the teaching of our mothers. And uh, as you get older in high school and these kinds of things, it doesn't, necessarily mean that your parents have all the answers of course parents do things that are that are wrong in in various situations but you know what the truth of the bible is uh, you can know what the truth of the bible is and compare these things to the scriptures and align yourself with them. And the same is true for the parents. We need to be instructing our children in line with what the scriptures have to say. And next, with the most important thing with any sin is having a plan ahead of time. You know, when, these, uh, when various situations where you're tempted with sin, make the plan ahead of time of how you're going to deal with it. Always keeping in mind the folly, in this case, of the ill-gotten gain, but it applies to anything. Think about it in your own mind. Whatever sin you are faced with, think about it in your own mind. What is, what is the outcome of this? Uh, how is it going to affect my life? And think about those things. And we'll, we'll be a lot better off in avoiding sin. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this book of Proverbs that teaches us so much about you and about the lives that you expect us to live and that you desire for us to live. And I just pray that you would give that same desire to us. Help us to be aware of how uh, the world and Satan tries to lead us into sin. Help us to make a decision ahead of time that we are that not going to fall into the sin. Also help us to realize that we are going to be tempted at various times. None of us is immune to that, and just help us to be prepared ahead of time and to understand the truth of your word and how to apply it to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.